I'm former Congressman Gary Franks. And I'm his son, Gary. I'm millennial. We're discussing everything from politics to sports and pop culture. From very different perspectives. We speak frankly. Welcome back. We're going to talk about the vice presidential debate, Gary, in our first segment. It was uh, historic from a number of perspectives. We've never had a Black woman run for vice president of the United States, so it was historic from that perspective. And we've only had two other females that have run for vice president on a major ticket, that being former Congresswoman Geraldine Ferraro and Sarah Palin. So it was a historic debate. I thought it was better than the presidential debate, the first one. I thought the moderator did a better job, even though Pence did, you know, talk more than he was supposed to. But that's normal. I'm in a debate. That's not a surprise. So I didn't let the Democrats um, not talking about or at least not answering the question that Pence asked multiple times and Trump asked during the debate about, are you going to add another person to the Supreme Court after we add someone? Yeah. Yeah, there was also some questions on both sides that I think weren't answered. Okay. Uh, that I would uh, like to be answered, but you mm-hmm. know, that's just my Okay. Opinion. I'll take, start with the packing the court issue, Gary. That, that is somewhat of a significant issue because in about 150 some odd years, we've always had nine Supreme Court justices. The Democrats are a little bit upset over the fact that over the last four years, uh, this would be potentially the third person that uh, President Trump would have placed on this, the highest court of the land. And all three would be deemed as being conservatives. I say that, but as I talked about in prior episodes, just because a person goes into their hearings in which Amy Coney Barrett will will start this week, it does not mean that their voting on particular issues that would come before the court would be ones in which would so-called match her reputation as a conservative or moderate, et cetera. Justice Souter was a perfect example of that. And we've had other examples as well. And so we we want to get an intelligent person who has a great deal of uh, integrity on the bench, as we, I I think all of the members are on the bench now would fit fit that mode. That's the most important thing. And let them make the decision based on the merits of the cases that would come before the Supreme Court. So packing the court, since right now would be deemed that five of the members, if Amy Comey Barrett were placed on the court, she would become the sixth so-called conservative member of the Supreme Court, leaving the liberal justices with three on their side. Now, I'm basing that solely on who appointed them to be an associate justice. And as I said earlier, Souter was appointed by George H.W. Bush, but ended up being a moderate to liberal justice. And Ronald Reagan had a person that he put on the court who ended up being a moderate as well. So it, it doesn't say much from the overall perspective, but take it as it may, it could go 6-3. So the point of packing the court would be that potentially the Democrats would want to add two or three more justices so that at least an odd number, probably three more justices in order to potentially make it 6-6 on the side of the Democrats. We're taking an American a big assumption here, that being if Joe Biden were to become the president and the Democrats were able to flip the Senate. I don't want to talk about that because it was, it was tried many years ago by Roosevelt and it failed miserably. And he was a very powerful president. 
the situation where moderates, independents would have a major concern with Joe Biden saying that he would like to add justices to pack the court and he would lose votes and probably lose the election. And so that is why he's not saying, but it's something that the voters need to know. It's not as though any Republicans can get away with, a, with not answering a question because we, I tell you right now, Garrett, you can't. You cannot get away without answering a question. Ask George H.W. Bush, obviously may he rest in peace. He had the question on raising taxes. He answered it. And guess what? Four years later, when he did raise taxes during that time, it was the main focus of his defeat in 1992. And so sooner or later, my prediction is Joe Biden will answer that because right now his ship is taking in water on that issue. On many of the talk shows this weekend, they refused to allow the liberal moderators to uh, avoid that issue. They brought it up and they pounded it very nicely because it's a big issue. And it's either a yes or no answer. And we know what the answer is by is not answering it. I think that Kamala Harris blew that question because she didn't know how to answer it. And she just fumbled her way through it. And it was terrible. It was absolutely terrible. The another issue that really bothered me, Gary, was the fact that on raising taxes, once again, Kamala Harris was disingenuous. It's very simple. If you're going to remove tax cuts, that would mean automatically you are raising people's taxes. It's simple. It's not even a something to be discussed. If you take something from A column, then then something and place it over in B column, you have, you know, it, that's the shift. So you have a situation where there were tax cuts and now you're going to remove the tax cuts. So that automatically would be a tax increase without even having any further discussion. And so it's either outright ignorance or just evasion that Joe Biden doesn't want to recognize that. I heard they just running commercials saying that I'm not running, raising taxes, let's do $400,000. And then he, right in the debate, said he's going to lift the Trump tax cuts immediately. So that's really bad, too, and really sad. And a more, a more objective press, a fair press, would point that out, would point that out to the American people on a regular basis, because you, it's a major issue. Raising taxes is a major major issue. So those are two big issues that Kamala Harris had to deal with, and both were fumbled miserably, but you know, supported by the liberal media because all they wanted to talk about was a fly on, on Pence's head. So it's it's sad. It's, it's really, really sad. The third big area, Gary, would be on the, the Green Deal. Now, no one wants to remember the fact that when Joe Biden was vice president of the United States, he authorized one of the biggest debacles in the green energy field in the history of America. It was called Solandra. Look it up, folks, and say, look Google Solandra, and you'll find out that Joe Biden, his vice president with Barack Obama, gave them a half billion dollar check. Yeah, half billion dollar check to come up with solar panels, which was a total disaster. And that guess what? The company within months went bankrupt. But they they took their five hundred and thirty five million dollars from the federal government coffers. So the last time they got involved with anything that had to do with so-called green energy, it was a debacle. But no one wants to talk about it. It's like, okay, fine. It's, you know, it's Joe Biden. Give him a pass. You know. And then the third one would be on fracking because they have already said, they're on record, they're on tape, that they will want to eliminate fracking. And they know if they continue to be advocates of eliminating fracking, they lost the state of Pennsylvania and they lost the state of Ohio. So what are they doing? They're lying. Oh, I'm sorry. They're changing their position. They've misspoke. I don't know what, what term they're using, but the bottom line of it is they're on video. Why do they believe that they can? I know why, because the liberal media is going to protect them. 
they're going to protect them. They don't, they don't want people to believe that what they said and what we all heard is actually true. You know, they want to portray Donald Trump as, oh, well, he never tells you. Biden is the only man, and I think, in our country's history who's had to get out of races because of lying. Now, it's very hard to lose your opportunity to run for office merely because you are a big liar. And that's what he was. It's, it's, it's on the record. I'm not making this up. He plagiarized a man's speech, the guy who, a man wasn't even from America. And then when it was pointed out to him, he had to leave the race for president. Unheard of, never happened in our country's history. These guys are just doing things that you just can't even fathom. And then, oh, I graduated here in my class. Total lies, captured on TV. But he said that his memory, he didn't remember quite properly. So. When they lie, they don't want to admit that they lied. And so during the debate, Gary, Vice President Pence pointed out that the way in which Joe Biden wanted to attack COVID, was planned, was basically plagiarizing. It's the same thing that we're doing right now. And when it was pointed out that it was plagiarism, that it was just plagiarism on the part of Joe Biden, what did Harris do? She had a little smirk on her face and kind of chuckled. She didn't deny it, she just kind of chuckled. Did the moderator jump in there and say, Oh, Senator Harris, is it, is it, what is, what is it? Is it plagiarism? Nope, they let it go. Nope, it's Joe Biden. Got to give him a pass. So, and then no one ever wanted to talk about, but Mr. Pence did, about when Joe Biden was in charge of a pandemic. Barack Obama said, hey, Joe, why don't you be in charge of this pandemic we got going on? Well, what happened? One fifth, folks, of America was infected. Fifty million Americans at the time, that was one fifth of America, was infected with this virus that Joe Biden was in charge of. Now, the press didn't talk about it every day and we didn't have a scorecard, oh, X, X millions of people, they didn't have any of that. It was only through the grace of God that it wasn't lethal enough to kill a lot of Americans. So, you know, all of these things are issues that came up during the vice presidential debate. And I'm not sure, and I'm, I'm gonna struggle here to find any positive points that I can give to Kamala Harris. As you know, I gave Joe Biden positive points for the fact that he looked into the camera. I think that's a very effective way of, of addressing people during a debate. But you know, I, I did not see her actions of, I'm talking, I'm talking. I didn't see that as being cute. You know, bottom line was, was could, could have been, excuse me, or whatever. But yeah, I'll, I'll give her that one. Kamala Harris. I thought she answered the the race relations question very well, but at the same time, that was a if it was a baseball term, literally a pitch thrown right down the middle for her to hit 300, 400 feet. When are they going to give the Republicans a question like that, where it's so easy where they can just get it yeah. right? Because I feel like they give a lot of the Democrats those. Yeah, questions. you're absolutely right. In fact, I was thinking, I was brainstorming the other day. I said, you know what they should do? This is before the second presidential debate was canceled. I said, instead of having those so-called town hall meetings, because even in my day, they were, you know, we had questions from the audience. We made sure that the questions were fair. That being, we got questions from my side of the room and then they had questions from their side of the room because we had all of our supporters sit on one side and all their supporters sat on the other side. So we knew the people that were going to ask questions. And so, at least in one of the debates that I had back in the past, I thought the best way of handling a town hall type of meeting would be for each candidate to present three or four or five or six, whatever number of people to be participants in 
the town hall meeting. Let the candidates choose them because then you know that the question that will be posed will be a question that would really dig into the other party. So let the Democrats pick their six, seven people, whatever, and let the Republicans pick theirs. And then you would have a really fair type of debate. And you give each one of the people who would ask the question a chance to do a follow-up question. And then you would have a solid debate. And so if the, if the presidential commission is look, listening right now, that is what we should do in the future. Because otherwise, it's too hard when the media is so slanted and, and so unfair. And it's been reported by the, not by me, Gary Franks, it's been reported by Gallup. One side believes and one side doesn't believe. We can't have an America going in that direction. And the only way that you can you could change that is to come somehow invoke a sense of fairness. Because right now, there is not, from a lot of people, as Gallup will report, they don't see the sense of fairness. I'll give you a classic example. I saw a show recently, Gary, where the people who were on the show were actually hoping that Donald Trump would die. Now, back in my day, when in the, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, if anyone would go on TV or radio and actually make comments of that nature, they would have a few people showing up at their door the next day. Because you just don't do that. You just don't do that. And the second thing, this same station, this same TV show had the nerve to talk in a derogatory manner of a person who just died, just died a few weeks ago. You just don't do that. Back in my day, you got censured for doing something like that. How can you be so hateful when you know that the people who you're being hateful to loved ones of the victim. So for future references on this show, I don't want to ever mention the show you're talking about again, because I don't think they, you know, they're kind of irrelevant at this point. And they don't deserve I agree. If you put out that type of message, the best way to handle it is to not even recognize that. I agree. Man. Gary, it said that 73%, 73% of Democrats believe in the, their media reports, 73%. However, 10% of Republicans believe what they hear in the media, 10%. That's a humongous divide. 73% of Democrats believe it. Now keep in mind, everyone knows CNN is the, you know, we used to call it the Clinton News Network and MSNBC is even further to the, to the left. And keep in mind that Fox is to the right. So you got two stations that pump one type of type of message, and then maybe you got other station countering that. But to have 73% of Democrats feel that it's it's really great, everything they're saying is truthful, and have only 10% of Republicans who hear the same stories believe that only only 10% of the of the people who are Republicans believe that that's accurate. In other words, 90% believe that it's a bunch of lies, distortions, half truths. That's not good. That is not good. So this is one time in which everyone seems to be on the right page, even though one of the state, one of the stations right now, one of the cable stations, are trying to pick through the, the minutia of the president's medical situation, not realizing that the most important thing is just to give people, the American people, the general picture of what's going on. Too much specifics would not be good. 
saw this Gallup story. Following three terms on the city council and three terms in Congress, former Congressman Gary Franks' consulting firm has helped scores of companies, large Fortune 500 firms, small businesses, and even startup companies secure millions of dollars in federal government contracts and international business opportunities. Congressman Franks, a Yale grad, author, Fortune 500 executive, and former visiting professor at Georgetown University, UVA, and Hampton University, will use his knowledge, experience, relationships, and strategic plan model to help you reach that next level of success. Schedule your participation in an upcoming webinar to learn just how Congressman Franks can help you. For more information, email gary at garyfranks.org now. Well, now we're in the, uh, I call it the funny business aspect of, of politics. It's when the power brokers and the, and the pollsters and, and the media, they all stick their finger, their hand, their arm, their leg, everything on the scale. <laughs> they all go all in. And how do they do it? Well, the old adage in politics is perception becomes reality. Remember that perception becomes reality. So how do you start to paint the perception that you are going to win? Well, I'm going to give you a few quick ways in which it's done. And then we're going to spend more time on why the polls that you're listening to and getting from various sources, how they could be totally, totally wrong. And once I would go over this, I think even the posters are going to say, yeah, I guess he's right. Here's a clear sign that they are starting to see that, hey, you, you're going to lose. Granted, we've talked about polling numbers, but we're going to come back to that and talk about that in, in greater detail. It's how much money you have left. It's how much money you have in advertisements. Are they seeing a lot of your commercials? Are they not seeing as many of your commercials? That tells people your strength. If you have a lot of cash on hand, it tells people your strength. Because it says to people, all of these folks believe you're going to win. And that's why they're giving you money, because they want to be part of your victory. Or adversely, or conversely, I should say, if you don't have the money that, and you're starting to get low on cash, it says people don't think you're going to win. And they're not going to throw money down the, out the window. So it's the money raised, money spent, and the capability of being able to spend more that can give people the perception of who is going to win. Now, I say that because in every one of my elections, I was outspent and I won six times and lost three times. So it's not having the more, more money, spending more money does not mean an automatic victory, folks. However, the power brokers, the party leaders, the liberal media, they want you to believe that. The next things are really the cosmetic things. Like, for example, and I did this in my race for state controller, I blasted the, the entire highway with billboards of myself. Big picture, Gary Franks was state controller. And so when people start to see billboards of you, this is when you're running for a lower level position, not when you're running for president, not when you're running for this, for let's say Senate, or maybe not even Congress, but you know, it is for Congress. If people start to see billboards of you or start to see a lot of yard signs, that's a key folks, that's one of the keys. It tells your neighbors, that, oh, wow, this guy must be kicking butt. Look at all these yard signs for John Doe. John Doe says a million large, every street, he owns this whole street. 
So that's where your grassroots campaign comes in and you try to get as many yard signs up in the month of October as you can. It is so important in races for state rep, races for aldermen, races for mayor, races for Congress, races for the United States Senate. Because once again, if there's a lot of yard signs in communities, the perception to the voters is that you're winning or you're gonna win. Now keep in mind people, not in this election for president, but people in general like to be with the winner. They don't like to be with the loser. Right now, it's not like that. Both sides, they're, they're in their respective corners and fight to the to show the end. But for lower level positions, people like to be with the winner. So when people start to see that type of so-called momentum going in one direction, just by yard signs, billboards, TV commercials, if you're on constantly and your opponent is not, the perception is you're going to win. The perception is you're kicking his or her behind. Other things that could happen. You start to lose staff members. Bad sign. The perception is they're jumping off the ship because the ship's going down. The perception is they're looking for another job because they know they're not going to be able to go with you in your position as congressman or senator. And then lastly, of the perceptions is how you handle the October surprise. Now, we could have a number of October surprises in this presidential election. We may have already had two. I don't know. We'll, we'll, that'll be evaluated later. But that is also critical, how you handle an October surprise. It can make or break you. So that, that's very important because the perception is if you handle it smoothly, if you got into a crisis as a governor or as a congressman or as president, you can handle that too. But if you can't handle an October surprise, and, you, and your campaign starts to go downhill, that's a problem. Classic example, there's an election going on in North Carolina for the United States Senate. Tom Tellis is the incumbent senator, has been losing by four to six points according to national polls and state polls in North Carolina. The person he was he's running against had a four to six point lead. He got involved in a sex scandal. And right now they're waiting to see how he handles it. It's how he handles that so-called October surprise. And if he does not handle it properly, he will definitely lose. Can he handle it? I don't know how you handle that properly, but the bottom line of it is it's a problem. But the more he fumbles with the problem, digs him a bigger and bigger hole. So those are all of the so-called perception elements, Gary. But the biggest one and the driving one would be polls. In many of the polls that we're seeing today, it shows Trump could be down by as many as um, 12 points, if I've seen, or as few as maybe nine points. Now, why is that significant? Why is it not that significant? It's significant because nine to 12 points is a lot of points. If I say that, and it could be more, I've seen other polls I've heard even higher than that. I say that because I've not been a real believer in polls because of my first election for Congress, I was told on the Thursday before the Tuesday election that I was down by eight points. I ended up winning by five points, 13 point swing. There was an incident that occurred that caused that swing, I believe. In other elections, when I ran for, for Congress, my fourth re-election, I was told I was up by 18 points going into the last couple of weeks of the election. And I lost by three or four points, a 21, 22 point swing in the wrong direction. So I'm not really a stickler on, on polls. A lot of 
variables there, but we're not going to spend time digging into that at this point. But what I want to point out to you in the presidential election is that polling has to be looked at in a twofold manner. I say that because it's not about winning the popular vote, as we all know. It's about winning the electoral college vote. So if you know you're going to lose California, if you know you're going to lose New York, if you know you're going to lose in Illinois, you're taking out Los Angeles, you're taking out Chicago, you're taking out New York City, you're taking out three or four of our largest cities, right? And so the bottom line of it is you don't run any commercials in those states. You will not see a Donald Trump commercial in Maryland. I, don't, I haven't seen any. Maybe you have. I haven't seen it. You're not going to see a Joe Biden commercial in Connecticut. I don't know. I don't think you're going to say you're not. Why? Because those elections are, for the most part, over to a certain time. I hate to say it like that, but, you know, the odds are that, you know, <laughs> certain person is going to win those states that I mentioned. So you don't spend money in those states. Now, why is that important? It's important because if people would start to remember the election of 16, Donald Trump did not lose the popular vote in 2016 until California came in. When California votes came in, that was it. Trump lost, by, but lost the popular vote by about three or four million votes. <laughs> he got creamed in California. He's gonna get creamed in California again. But because of the electoral college system and one vote, winner take all, you could get slaughtered in California, slaughtered in Illinois, slaughtered in those states, and still become president of the United States. So my point is, when a pollster is doing a poll and they're doing a national poll, which includes California, Illinois, New York, and that poll, it's going to drive Biden's numbers up. But in reality, it doesn't make any difference how many votes he wins by in Illinois or New York or California. It doesn't make any difference. But in the poll, it will look as though he's doing phenomenally well. So all you have to do, folks, is do the math. Go check each state and take out one or two states, like I did, and you'll see that Trump won the popular vote by a lot against Hillary Clinton, by a sizable margin against Hillary Clinton. But you add those states in, he, he lost the popular vote. But it doesn't mean anything because it's the electoral college vote. So the fact that Trump won by a whisker in Wisconsin, won by a, 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 a toenail in Pennsylvania, won by a, a, a thumbprint in Michigan, it counts like he won it by a landslide because it's winner take all. So the polls would be off or would give a false sense of glee to the Democrats because Trump's not even trying in those states. So the numbers are going to be extremely high if someone were polled out in California, extremely high. So that has to be remembered. So that's the first element of the poll that will give you a false read on what will happen. So how do you get around that? You must do what the candidates are doing. <laughs> is Donald Trump going to California to campaign? No. Is Joe Biden going to California to campaign? No. Is Joe Biden going to New York? No. Because it's worth it. not. That's not where the election is going to be won. They're going to a handful of states, and it's almost like magic. One candidate's there one day and another family member or that candidate's there the following day. Because it's a handful of states that determine the president of the United States. And it's their polling, Gallup, 
that you should be looking at. Gallup should be doing a state-by-state poll and have that poll match the, the 271 that a candidate would need to determine who would be in the best position to become president of the United States. That is the best way to assess it. And quietly, that is what the media is doing. And that is what the Biden campaign is doing. That is what the Trump campaign is doing. But the perception game goes to the liberals and the Democrats because you're going to see an inflated number because you're going to have Biden getting a tremendous amount of votes and comments, positive comments from the respective coastlines, California and and, and New York, et cetera. And that screws the numbers. The other factor that comes into play, and this is one in which I talked about before, kind of having fun with it, because at one time they were just talking about registered voters, registered voters. And And I told you why registered voters is not really the best way of looking at whether or not a person is doing well or doing poorly in the polls. We've talked about that extensively, and I went over the reasons for that. I'm going to contradict a lot of that now, folks, because there's another element that I didn't want to mention too early, but now is the time to mention it. And that element is your ground game. Now, what is the ground game come into play? Well, I said before that you're a likely voter if you voted in 2018, if you voted in 2016, you're a likely voter. So before I said likely voters would give us the best look of of a poll, would give us the best evaluation of a poll. And and that's it's true. But now we have to look at another very important factor. And that factor is the ground game. And how does that come into play? How many people did the Republicans register to vote as new voters from the year 2018? That will become key. What was the number of voters that the Democrats registered from 2018 to the present in their respectives in various states? I've been told that in Florida, it could be very high margin for Republicans and a much smaller number for the Democrats. If that's the case, they would not show up in a likely poll because they would be ruled out simply because when asked, did you vote in 2018? The answer would be potentially no, because there would there'll be new voters. They may have been not, not old enough to vote. They may have been just didn't register to vote with a lot of lot of reasons, but they would not show up. So if you had a good, good ground game in registering a lot of new voters, first time voters, it's not going to show up in a likely voters poll. Barack Obama did that very uh, adroitly in his campaigns. They went after registering a lot of new voters. Jesse Jackson used to do this all the time as well. Register a lot of new voters because they are a surprise weapon for you for the upcoming election. Number one, because for the main reason, but they're new voters, yes, and they're going to vote. I mean, they didn't go out of their way to to register in 2019 or 2020 not to vote. They're anxious. It's their first time. They're thrilled. And in a razor-thin election period, it can make the difference. Keep in mind, one by a whisker in Wisconsin, one by a whisker in Michigan, one by a whisker in Pennsylvania, not by a whole lot more than Ohio and various other states, but that's all you have to do. Win by one vote, you get the whole vote. You get the whole state. So it's very possible that once again, we can see an election where one candidate could lose the popular vote badly, in fact, and still become president of the United States And that is why both campaigns 
are not spending time in certain states, but are almost piggybacking visits to a handful of states because those states, just a handful, will make that determination of who's gonna be president. That is why in those handful of states, I don't know for a fact, but I would guess that they're being inundated with TV commercials. <laughs> I'm sure that they can't turn left or turn right without seeing another commercial. And I'm sure in those states that are in question right now, they can't wait for election day for more reasons than one. They're sick of seeing all these TV commercials about Biden being great and Trump being great and Biden being terrible and Trump being terrible. They're sick of it. That's why. Don't forget to subscribe.